All right, three, two, one, we're live. Randy Manier, welcome to the Hive. Thank you, Sensei. <laughs> sensei, not everybody calls me that anymore, but you have you call me that because uh, we've been together training. When did you start, man? I asked in preparation for coming here today. I asked my ex. Two thousand and eight is when I started. Holy shit! Ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that yeah. goes way back. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, you I go back to decades. when we were we were still teaching karate as a full contact karate program. It was old school. It, yeah. was, it was old school. It's a little bit different than now. <laughs> uh, yeah, quite a bit different, but yeah. you know. Here's one of the weird ones uh, we know is uh, my grandfather was your father's coach on the Giants. I forgot that. I forgot that. Like you and I knew each other for like two years, and then it just. I, That's I don't right. remember how you figured it out. Well, he came to your gym one day. I was like, you got to check this gym out. The one over by the, the mall. Yep. By CV Square or what have you. And he came in and, and we brought up the Giants and you were like, oh, my, my grandpa or whatever used to coach. And he's like, what's his name? And it, and it dawned on him then. That's crazy. Isn't that weird? It's a small world. It's one of those three degrees of separation Absolutely. deals. Absolutely. You played, you played football. Yep. You went to University of Maryland, right? Yeah. Well, I... I went to Ithaca College one year, because when I graduated high school, I was still like the runt of the. Well, where'd you? We'll, we'll do a little bit of backstory on that. So, are you from Freehold? Yeah. Okay, so you're born, born and raised. raised in Freehold. You played football at Freehold. Freehold Township, yeah. Okay, and you're like the starting quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. were. You were yeah. that guy. I was that guy. All right, and then you went to Ithaca. So I, I lived up to every every <laughs> bit of that stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the mullet. I was. I was. It was. Uh, it was something to see. <laughs> the mullet, because what year was that? Well, it was like the pretty boy. It was, you know, yeah. 80s, early 80s. You know, pretty boy, quarterback, <laughs> captain of the team. Thought who I was, you know. You're, you're a kid. You don't know any better. So you went to Ithaca for football? Yeah, so my dad was like, you know, you're good. You're not that good, so why don't you take a year to Yeah, that's what I was going to get at. So you went there to get some experience yeah. so you can go to a better school. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I'm probably like every other person in the world who – has uh, you know had a certain degree of talent was blessed with it in combined with a good work ethic could have done something more but you get these distractions and you you, you don't you take for granted what you got so i always felt like my dad overstated what i could have become but i probably i probably could have worked a little harder too so i went to ithaca to your point transferred to maryland because i got cocky after a good season at ithaca i was like all right i'm ready for d1 ball went down to maryland thinking again who i was and they're like all right you could walk on but you're going to free safety and I'd always played quarterback. I played safety in, in high school, but I'm not a D1 free safety. Yeah. You know, I'm not. Uh, I just, uh, there's certain physical limitations. There's levels to this. There's levels to this. There's levels to everything. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was the best experience. It humbled me. It showed me, you know, more about myself and what I had to, you know, work on. So, uh, no regrets. You graduated from Maryland. Yeah. Yep. 90. Did you play ball the whole time? No, nah, I stopped my junior year. Because I. I okay. I knew that like I was maybe going to see playing time maybe the second half of my senior season. So did you, when you went to college, did you have aspiration like football was going to be your life? Yes. You thought you were going to the NFL? My first word was football. Okay. My father, having played pro, was like, ah, second generation. He's really good friends with Bob Greasy, whose son went on to much bigger and better things than I did. And I felt like that as friends, they were like, how's your boy doing? How's your boy okay. doing? Gotcha. Yeah. So you really had aspirations to be a pro football player. Now, it's funny. My dad was the same 
Sitch, where my father my father went to Notre Dame. My father was a starting linebacker for Notre Dame. He actually was on the team that won the first bowl game Notre Dame ever won. Really? Aaron Parsegian was his coach. Joe Theismann, I know that name. Joe Theismann was the quarterback. My dad gets drafted by the Giants. What position? Middle linebacker. Oh, the big so boy. Yeah, my dad, was, he was like 270-something pounds, which is small for a middle linebacker today, but mm-hmm. back in 71, 72, that was a big boy. Yeah. So my dad... He went, you know, my dad doesn't think he's going to do anything with his life except play football because that's what he's being groomed for. Middle linebacker, gets drafted by the Giants, goes to training camp, has a chronic hamstring injury starts, pulls a hamstring, sucker won't heal, having trouble. They're like, look, go to Canada. Because Joe Theismann, he went to Canada first because he wanted to get experience in Canada before he came to the NFL. Joe calls him up and is like, hey, come play for me. We, we, we need somebody like you. Heal up. Play the season, come back down with me, you'll be fine. My dad goes up, and he's living in a trailer in Toronto. I could some of this stuff could be wrong, but the flow of the story is right. Yeah. He's living <laughs> in like a trailer in the parking lot of the stadium in Toronto, and they call him up and they go, "Hey, did you talk to Vancouver?" And he was like, "Yeah, they called me like I don't know nine months ago." And they're like, "Well, we have a rule in Canadian football: if anybody talks to you." You're now un- ineligible to communicate with any other teams without being released. And Vancouver was kind of being dicks to Toronto and saying, no, you, we talked to him first. You can't talk to him. We don't want him, but you can't have him either kind of thing. And my dad was like starting to get frustrated. And my mom tells it as she's sitting at home and she gets a call and she's like, oh, how you doing? And he's like, I'm good. And she's like, so what am I going to see? And he's like, about 30 minutes because I just got off the bus and I'm on my way home. Wow. And he came home and I guess the post-college experience didn't really work out the way he wanted to and he never went back to football. Wow. He could have probably. I, I actually want to get my dad on to get more deep on that because I don't really you understand should. what exactly happened. But just something in that post – and then he was stuck in this stitch. And the reason why like, I'm kind of asking you so many questions about it is because I'm always curious with that person that has the intention of being something. And then shit happens and then life switches on you. So, Which is how more often than not, right? The th- you asked, though, if my, I don't know that I had the intention. I didn't know that I could choose. Okay. I, I think I was going through the motions of what was set out for me. That's really cool that you said that, though, because I find more times than not, in the, we're sitting here in our forties talking, but Early throw yourself, <laughs> throw your almost mid for me, fuck. But throw yourself back to that age, and you do feel like there's no choice. You don't know what options you have because right. you don't have any experience. Right. And if you have parents that are successful, they don't know out anything outside of their success. Right. Like, people think people that are in successful situations are, like, free, open-minded. Like, no. They're the most narrow-minded people there are in a lot of ways because they only see their lane because it provides everything they need. And they really invest everything they've gotten in and their whole life is that. Right. And then they just want you to find your lane. And if they don't know because they don't have experience to show you the options, they try and drag you in their path. Right. Like, don't you want to do what I do? This Look what I did model, for myself. And yeah. if you follow it, you will achieve your this. Your dad was not just a football player. Your dad was a really... Then he went to Wall Street. Like, a lot of those But your guys dad was did. a really good football player, though. He was very good. Football. Like, he was... Gifted. Your dad's a well-known football player yes. from his generation. Yes. And which, every other thing he ever got in life came because of that. Let's be honest. No, absolutely. But he, his story is, is the traditional group, you know... 
moderate income, small town Indiana. Yeah. Worked his ass off. Um, went to a great school. You know, his work paid off. He was one of the baby bulls at Purdue, and went on to play in the pros with. Um, uh, you said the Tarkenton, not, but that's not the right. It's um, the basketball coach. No, who am I? It'll come to me. But he, you know, he's he's circulated with some of the old-time greats, and he yep. held his own. So like he, God bless him, and he lived it. You know, he did. My it. father became a stockbroker too. It's really. I don't know what. There's a correlation. Absolutely. All those guys went to Wall Street. Well, my father's selling scarves in the garment district in Manhattan, and he gets a call from Notre Dame alumni who says, "Hey, I'm a broker at Merrill Lynch. I think this would be good for you." And then he came in. And crazy stuff for me, you know, again, I've taken a different path than my family did, which separates me in a way from a lot of the communication that I guess would have happened if I took a different path. So, like, I understand, I know my parents' story, but I don't know it, I guess, as deeply as if I took a different path for myself. So there's a little bit of separation on gotcha, that. Gotcha. So I come in contact with people now that worked for my dad, were brought into the business by my dad, and then they talk about him. And they talk about him in a way that I don't know him. Really? Yeah. Like, I ran into this guy, Phil Yelovich, who I'm going to have come on. It's really crazy. He's a stockbroker. To get him to come on to be able to talk, he has to run this by the SEC compliance what? officer at the company. Yeah, that's how strict they are about this shit. But he was recruited by my dad. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. He recruited you, and he talked to you this way, and he recruited that guy, and he recruited that guy. And at that point in my life, like, so my dad's like, probably 35 to 40 range and he was recruiting these younger guys and I'm like wait a minute he's doing exactly what I do he built a team right. around an idea right. and then he created success with them it's what I did oh shit that's what my grandfather did yeah. like that's what my one uncle did like we had players and coaches in our family basically yeah. I ended up being I mean we all played and then some became coaches. My uncle Harry was a bit of a, a mentoring coach type person. Uh, I'm that way. My father's that way, and that was my grandfather. Well, I'll tell you, you know, the correlation. I think that people like athletes, whether whatever your sport is, they have certain common mentality. It's the work ethic. It's the setting of goals. It's the you know, it's the grind to get what you want. And I think that lends itself to different aspects of life. And the wiring is. It's linear in a generation. The, the differences in combat sports versus football is that football is such a team. Yes. And it's such a hierarchy. Yes. And it And it has an infrastructure. I had the conversation yesterday with Jason Sargas. He was talking about how, you know, there's more routes to – more organized routes to success for other sports outside of combat sports. And it's because it has the financial infrastructure in place – to support the growth of it. Like the, the schools make money so they can provide you everything you need. In right. MMA, in combat sports, it's totally different. There's no infrastructure in place. So it makes it a very pedestrian sport. Like literally anyone can walk in off the street. I, I This is like the hundredth time. I'm sorry you're gonna hear this again, guys. But I always say this, like you can't walk into the local gym and have a catch with Tom Brady. Right. But you can walk into a local MMA school and do work with a UFC fighter. Right. So it's a very accessible sport because the path is so different. The average person with some athletic ability and grit and some power in their hands or a good double or submission whiz, whatever, you can in a short amount of time create a pro career yeah. where there's really no other big sports that you do that. If you play baseball, basketball, football, you don't post-college figure out you want to be in the NFL. Right. You right. figure out in like eighth grade and you're groomed right. for it right. because you're 1% of 1%. That's profound. I never thought of it that way. Because now, I mean, 
not to sound like an old man, but my journey to MMA was an extension of, you know, being an athlete, not playing football in my latter years, you know, after school, what have you. And I feel like through you and your teaching in your schools, it was like we were old school and that, you know, the UFC was just booming and coming on the scene. It wasn't what the, the mammoth it is now. So in my mind, what you just described makes sense in, in how I came into the sport, but not... Um, do you feel like it's changing now, though, from what you just described, that it's not as pedestrian? Because now they're the, the size of the purses. I Let me say it a different way. I now see kids and work with kids, and you're a gym and in other places where I do you know, fitness, whatever, yeah. that we came up playing baseball, football, basketball. These kids are coming up training MMA. But they still, no matter what, they still don't have the infrastructure in place because there really is a formula to be successful in most sports. And there's infrastructure and coaching and teams and support. Where MMA, there's no magical pathway to get. Like I talk about this with pro fighters all the time. I'm X and O. Like you know, how come the UFC is not calling? Well, because there's no formula. Right. There's no formula to make it to the UFC. Right. There's it's truly a uh, it's truly a business of entertainment and sport combined to a to a a different level. Like with some luck, perhaps. I don't. I don't really believe in luck. I believe in, like people say, Conor McGregor is a lucky guy. No, Conor McGregor. If you really look at his path, it's different. There's a lot there. I mean, he's fucking up right now, but that's just, again, without the infrastructure, when you take fame and money and you give it to these people, really bad shit happens because they're not prepared because there's no infrastructure in place to give them. One thing with football, there's almost a code of conduct in yes. football. There's There's still, you have to be responsible to your coach. Where the problem is in fighting, there's not many coaches that make their fighters responsible because they're afraid that if they push them in those directions, that they're going to lose them to someone else. It's very easy to poach an athlete in this business. It's very easy because this, there's not this, you're not a part of this big machine. It's individual relationships. And again, in combat sports, no offense, people. But the coaches are just as fucked up as the fighters are. We're not in this business because we're normal, well-adjusted people. I was going to say, a wise man once told me prize fighters are very unique people. <laughs> yeah, and coaches are unique too because most of us tend to be former prize fighters. I mean, for me, and I, I say that one of the, the best things for me in this business and what separates me from a lot of people is I did not come to this because of a negative. I started doing martial arts when I was six. And my competitive aspirations changed as the sport evolved. I started in karate and then got into kickboxing and then I did judo and then I did jujitsu and then I did MMA and I did this and I did that. It was just different challenges within a culture that I just knew. So I grew up in it. Like I I didn't come to it because I was lacking something that I needed to figure out. And most people that over the age of 15 coming to martial arts, they're missing something. And that something could even be I'm bored at the gym and I want to do something different. It's having desire to do something different because they're looking for something. Well, so, so it becomes a very journey-ish thing. And again, it's testosterone, it's fighting, it's combat. It's a mind fuck of a business. The whole thing's crazy. But I've known you a long time, and, and this, is, this is bringing out some questions I never had a chance to ask you. So not to flip the script and interview you, but as I'm listening to you, what, why did you not follow football? In the tri- like what, what started, you said six, what, what started you doing on that road instead of? Well, First off with the football part, I grew up in blue and gold. I was going to be the starting something for Notre Dame as a child. You still a fan? 
Yeah, but I honestly, I mean, now, wife, kid, kid on the way, busy gym, coming out of the stitches, came out of, like, I don't pay attention to shit anymore. I don't, people are talking about basketball, and I'm like, I couldn't even tell you who's in the playoffs right now. Someone told me it was the playoffs, and I was like, oh, really? I don't know anything right now. I haven't watched football. I haven't watched anything. People are telling me Notre Dame got in trouble for a violation. I'm like, I don't know anything about it. I don't know what you're talking about. I know nothing right now. I know MMA. I know what Carl's next opponent is, and about that, um, that's about it. I know I got some guys with fights coming up, and I really yeah. don't know much more. I know, hey, but if you want to know what happened in Avengers, Star Wars, if you want to yeah. know how to get past level five in Lego Avengers 2, <laughs> I'm good. You're, you're the guy. Like, I'm the guy. Like, my life is my family and fights Fighting. because this is all I got time for. But you didn't um, answer the question. Though. I did not answer it, and I'm going to get back to it. Okay, so football. The cool part with my dad was that my father – so my dad had a good doctor tell him – so my dad blew his patella tendon. I'll never forget this. He was playing pickup basketball at the Atlanta Club, and he went for a, a layup, and he hit somebody in the hip, and his patella tendon exploded. And the doctor told him, he said, look, the, the reason in your late 30s, early 40s, you're having the physical problems you are, it's everything you did to yourself before the age of 18 playing football. You started playing football as a really young guy, and you really fucked your body up. And my dad's attitude with me because of this was, look, if you're going to play football, I don't want you to play until high school. So he never Smart. pushed me into high, to football at all. I played baseball and I played soccer and I did karate. And my father was, and I wanted to play football, but he was like, no, look, I want to save your body. But then again, I'm doing fucking combat sports and my body's way more of a wreck than his was. But yeah. again, I think, you know, the hammerhead, right males, we just can't help ourselves. Right. But he was trying to do the right thing. I mean, he didn't know about CTE and the shit they find out now, but he knew that the damage he did was not something he wanted to see me do, so he held off. And then I went to CBA, and we didn't have a football program. Did, so did he got? Did, how did you get exposed to martial arts? Just you saw okay, so someplace. Okay, I, I, my pa- my 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 mom's a workaholic. My dad's an athlete. I watched way too much TV on the weekends. So I was a, I was an only child, and we had a rule in the house: I couldn't watch television Monday to Friday. That was the rule: no TV Monday to Friday. So on the weekends, I was binge-watching television. Saturday cartoons were big when we were a kid. In Mormon? What? In Mormon? No. My fucking parents, like, crazy. But uh, Saturday cartoons were a big thing. Remember, as a kid? Dude, I used to... Yeah, I think I know where you're going with this, but go ahead. But so I used to, like, start off that, and then it would roll into the Big Apple movie, and I used to watch Kung Fu Kung Theater. Kung Fu Theater, bro. I was every hoping afternoon. you'd say that. Dude, I lived On Channel 5. That. I used lived to watch that. Bruce Lee, all yeah. that shit. so my dad's like, well, he doesn't want to do anything else. Like, I drew, I played with my toys, and I watched fucking Kung Fu Theater Amen. religiously. Same. So my dad was like, do you want to try to do karate or something? And I was like, sure. This is 1980. Yeah. And he went for a run in Long Branch. Picked up an Atlanticville newspaper, opened it up, Atlantic Karate Academy's in there, and he go, I mean, it, it was a newspaper or a phone book back then to figure out where to go, yep. and he just said, well, why don't we try this place, and we went, and then that was the beginning, and, you know, that was it. Amen. I started, and it just never changed, and the part that I, you got to put it into context, too, and it's why a lot of the things I am, even with martial culture, in 1980, there were no kids' classes. So I'm six years old. There was no infrastructure. Karate is this weird thing that nobody does. Right. So I went and trained on a tile floor in the basement of the IAMA building, the Italian American Association, in Long Branch on West End Avenue. And I was the only kid. I was six. And they needed money. So they said, sure, we'll take them. But it was all adults. Yeah. It's all 20, 30-something-year-old people that are all competitors and stuff too. 
So they just treated me like a little adult. So I just got the shit beat out of me. And you just had to shut up and take it or else, you know, you're not mature enough to do it and go home. And I just got beat up every day. And then... And it was just this weird thing because I was the only kid and I was being treated as an adult. I can go deeper on that whole thing because the way things were at home, it was the perfect fit for me because my parents kind of treated me that way too. So like it was just a continuation of the life I already knew with just a different group. But the coolest part about it for me was it was the only thing that nobody in my family did and they couldn't give me shit about. Yeah. Even at six years old, I was like – It was I'm, yours. I'm, I'm, I think I was always wired to be an entrepreneurial type person. I – I don't work well for others. I work well with others. So karate and martial arts was the only place that I was, I guess, submissive to a leader. So it was my thing where it was okay for me to let someone give me direction. And it was always that way. Even into my adult years when I was training with other people, whenever I had a strong person with good knowledge in martial culture, I would listen but nowhere else. That's I, it's just like that thing for me. And to this day, Patty Booth O'Neill, if you say the word sensei, I don't ever think of myself. I hear that word. I only think of her. She to was, this day, she's the only human being that I associate with that term. She was your original sensei? She was my first instructor. And she was the best ass, like, smallest. She was like this little woman who was mean and feisty. There's a story where a guy said something to her at a bar. It's like six foot five, dude. I actually know the guy. Uh he said something inappropriate and she just sidekicked him and collapsed his <laughs> knee. He limps to this day. And she was like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like, you just got your knee collapsed by a five foot two hundred and twenty pound woman. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like, she didn't care. Like, she was like that. Yeah. She was the first American to ever win a medal at the World Championships. Like, she went to Spain and you know, in Olympic style karate and won a silver medal. She was the first person to ever win a medal. And then a couple men did, but she was like the... She like paved the way for Americans to be successful on the international stage. So she was tough. She was tough. Believe it or not, I followed a similar initial path because I same same kid loved kung fu theater. Yeah. You know, like loved you know aggressive sports, what have you. I ended up doing taekwondo for a little while, and I didn't don't I mean until you said it, no no kids classes either. Yeah, it's a little of a different culture. It's more like uh, a little less um, strict and kind of like steeped in tradition if you will so it's, it was a little more accepting it wasn't like yes. I was never afraid or you know what have you the Korean and Japanese ways are very different the Japanese way is very much you have to be forged against an anvil where the Koreans are a little bit more business minded people went into karate assuming they would never make a dime yeah. Koreans go into business with Taekwondo from the beginning to make a buck well now it's, it's to me one's combat one's more like points fighting well my karate was point fighting that i started with but we didn't even know that we thought it was right different but well, that's what ufc blew all that stuff out of the water so all yeah. the bullshit that we grew up on how deadly we were we realized how inefficient are, are there we even kyokushin were. tournaments anymore well i didn't grow up in kyokushin karate no? i went to full contact karate i mean we started off we were ishinru karate and then ishinru was a style that didn't do well internationally so my instructor switched over to a, a shotokan base uh so I had like a Shotokan Ishinru hybrid kind of background. And then the reason I got into full contact was because one of my friends that I trained with, this kid, Shan Harewood, he 
got a video from the blockbuster called Fighting Black Kings, and he was a black dude, and I was like, you racist fucker, what are you going to show me? I was like, what, is this going to be some Black Panther movie? You're always telling me, like, I'm this, like, weak white guy, what are you going to do? And he's like, no, bro, he's like, you're not going to believe this. And we watched this video of these Japanese guys, like, punching trees and breaking bricks, and then they go into this tournament, no pads, kicking people's heads off, and I was like, what is this? We went to the gym next day, and we tried to do it, we were so hurt. It yeah. wasn't even funny because it was just so hard. He was like, I never want to do this again. But I was like, I actually think I only want to do this now. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do anything else because this is challenging me in the way I'm looking for. Yeah. And then I got into kickboxing and then I came back to full contact karate and then I was doing both simultaneously and I was doing all different shit, whatever. But that one movie was like, made me realize, holy shit. Humans are way tougher than we're giving them credit yeah. for. We can take way bigger of a pounding than we realize. Yeah. And that's when I was like, how far can I physically push myself? And that's when I really started to go deep on the push. And that's when I had to separate from my instructor, Patty, because they didn't really understand because they were, they were in their mindset and their culture and their idea of push and what success was was very different than mine. And so then I had to express my own ideas. And it's that's a difficult thing when you have to separate from your sensei for a little while. Yeah, it's a very isn't difficult it? Thing. Yeah. That was different. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. No, <laughs> we, seriously. Don't, we don't have to. No, we can. I, I, dude, I'm, I'm all about it because uh, when I left my instructor, it was weird. Um, I don't look I think you and I we we got to a place where we definitely needed to like separate for reasons I felt like my instructor and it's not a negative to them it could be misconstrued but I feel like once I started training hard they were exposed as something lesser than what they were promoting themselves to be and they didn't want to deal with that so here so I was teaching classes for them and I'm not getting paid because I'm the loyal student I, they've got a gym dojo of like 125. I go to Australia for a month and like five people show up for class. I come back, dojo's packed again. And instead of saying, wow, Brian's a great instructor, they said, oh, he stole our thunder. And then they started to like shit on me and things got really weird. And then I was like, okay, so all the philosophy you were pushing is all, more of a business all bullshit. Time, yeah. And now you're just trying to like save face. And so you're trying to put me down instead of allowing me to make you money. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just got to this weird place and they did a couple shady things with me and I just went to their house one night and I was like, look, here's the deal. I broke my hand and I broke my leg in Australia. I really need time Funny. to heal. Yeah. And when I come back, I think I'm going to come back and open my own place. How old were you then? 24. So you stayed from 6 till 24 years old? You were with that dojo? From 16 to 20, I didn't train with them. Okay. I stopped training in high school for a little while because I got involved in the Thai boxing real heavily. Muay Thai? Yeah. Nice. I ran to a guy, like, it was a friend of a friend, and, like, we just started to do different shit. And that's when I started to really get into, like, full contact, whatever. But, yeah, um, yeah I came back to them. Time off, came back. I felt like they kind of got exposed to be different than what they were preaching. Bothered me a bit. I had so many ideas that I really wanted to teach that I couldn't under their system and it was time for me to open my own place and I did so at 24 years old I opened up I took a bank loan out for 10 grand man where was that uh it was right here in Oakhurst across the street from where we are right now 
it was on the second floor of a building with an entrance in the back, and you couldn't fucking see it, and it was really hard. And it was a karate dojo. And you want to know the fucking thing about that? Everybody that left my school that I started with, they would all anyone who left and tried to do their own thing tried to recruit every person from that place. Hmm. I went and opened up a school, and I made a point of not contacting a single person, and I turned away everyone but two people from that dojo. And they were people that got black belts that basically I trained them up to black belt. They got black belts from my sensei, but I got them ready, and I had a bond with them that was more than just regular. And I was like, look, you have the option to train here, but I don't want you to disconnect from them either. So I tried to do the right thing, they didn't take it real well and they tried to still be combative and I never was combative with my old instructor. I still don't speak poorly of it. I think it was the time. I think it was the culture. It is what it is. Um, I did my own thing. I took a world of shit from them and I don't care. It was fine. It worked out. I'm 20 years later running my own school. I'm good. Was that the genesis um, of Takamichi Kaikon? Yeah. Well, no, that came about because so when I left, I was independent and I was doing my thing. I think I'm a, I'm a pretty good interviewer actually. I'm like I'm doing a good job interviewing you. Yeah, you're you. doing good. You're interviewing me. We'll come back to you too. <laughs> no, no, that's not your own shit. I'm, you I'm interested into. in this. So. But no, so I I'm doing my own thing, and then I won the Northeast Sabaki Challenge, which was a full contact tournament, and a representative named Arnie Solidale from Sato Kaikon, Japan, was there. This dude lived in Japan for years. He was a huge fighter for American K1. Man? American dude from upstate New York. He had moved to Japan to learn how to do it at home. He wanted to learn Japanese karate in Japan. And then he became a K1 fighter. Then he moved to Switzerland. He was on Team Andy, all this shit. So he comes and he's sitting in the crowd. He sees me fight and he comes up to me afterwards and he's like, hey man, you're good. And uh, that's when the recruiting process started. And then he recruited me into Sato Kaikon and then I went to Sato Kaikon and then I was part of K1 then. And then there was some shit that went down. Ishii's getting in a lot of trouble for tax problems. Ishii was the head of it all. He got into a little bit of trouble. Um, Arnie was put in a really bad spot. Everything got really weird. And then we separated, and then I just stayed independent. And then eventually, I just felt like I had to like name what I was doing for my students' sake. And that's when I just said Takamichi Kaikon, which basically means organization that follows the martial way in an old style of saying it, because I was a bit of a freestyle person with how I went about things. I wasn't pigeonholing myself to say I was just karate or I was just jujitsu or I was just anything. We're kind of just effective fighting is my mindset. And that's why it became real fighting karate because I just wanted to create real practical. That's the style. Fighting. People ask me what I, yeah, that's I mean, the style. it's just real practical shit. Like we weren't, we, I have, uh, I have some really good experience with good people. Arnie Solidell is absolutely the person that broke down how the human body effectively fights for me. Like that guy gave me the foundation that made every, I was doing most of the stuff he taught me. I was already doing it, but not able to recognize it. So it was like the light bulbs just kept going off. Oh, that's why this is working. That's why this is working. That's why this is working. Okay. But he just had higher level understanding. He could talk it, walk it, do it. He was tough some bitch I've ever known, but he also was a extremely detailed communicator. And that really gave me the language to connect the dots better. And that's what really made me grow into everything I am now. Really was the genesis of there where he really broke it down. And also he took – he pulled the curtain back and showed me you know, who the wizard is when it comes to Japanese culture and the misinterpretation of it in the U.S. See, I came up – Atlanta Karate Academy – 
The problem there was your black belts treated you like shit. And you were waiting to get your black belt because they were training you to treat the next generation like shit. Like that was the process. And I really grew up in that. And then when I went to Japan legit with Arnie, he was like, look, Senpai Kohai, the senior junior thing, yeah, your senpai is going to beat the fuck out of you. He's going to make you clean the dojo. He's going to make you clean his fucking clothes. He might make you make fucking dinner. But when you're hungry, he's going to take you to dinner. When you need money, he's going to put money in your pocket. And when you need to learn the shit that's going to make you a winner, he's going to be the guy that does that. So everything he asks of you is for a reason. It's to temper you and humble you so that you're prepared for the everything to come. And he's not doing it because it's his rite of passage to treat you like shit. He's doing it with the best intention possible, and he's doing it in the way that it was done to him and handing it down to you because Japanese culture is very but specific that way. But that, that to way. me is the difference between martial arts and fighting. Yes. And I, I mean, it sounds overgeneralized, but that's how I've always looked at it. See, I've never lost the senpai kohai thing, but... I've had to change it because times are different. Yeah. Like, we can't do belt system, gi, karate, and expect to be MMA guys anymore. Like, I, I'm not even going to say that. We probably could. I probably come up with some weird hybrid way to do this right. I mean, Tiger well, Shoulder tries to do it, it you know? Right? Like, but again, marketers ruin everything. Yeah. It turns into a thing. People call you a McDojo, whatever. Like, <laughs> and the other end of it is with people, the big growth factor for me, and this will start to go into where we had to separate, was that. That mindset I'm speaking about, which was ingrained in me, I mean, that permeated everything. I mean, the hard attitude I had, like, I, for me, being hard was what I had to be. Like, I had to try and break you so no one else would break you. And we would just that old school karate mentality. But the problem. But I think there's something to it. Like, I would hate to see, like, because you taught me that way yourself, and I appreciated it. But the, Not at the, the time, but, but I he, do. Yeah, but. <laughs> Again, you didn't appreciate the time, but looking back now in I retrospect, do. you get it. And I can tell you a dozen stories that I've had. I mean, people have sat here that I haven't talked to for a while, sit down and be like, I really didn't get what you were doing until later on when something happened and I had the ability to whatever. And I don't, and I mean, I've had, I had one person tell me it's what got him into special forces in the army. Another one tell me it's why he was able to get married. Another one said, you know what? My kid's crying at two o'clock in the morning and I want to get up. It's why I get up. Like, there's a lot of weird practical push that comes well, yeah. about in all different aspects because we trained to be that way. Yeah. The difference now, the one thing I definitely learned is that no matter how I learned, if I choose to be a leader or a teacher, I can't force my audience to listen differently. I have to speak in a way that they're going to hear it and then I have to bring them in, but with value the entire way. I was brought up with, do this. Why? Shut the fuck up before I punch you. Like, just I, do it. I think it. you might have said that to I, me on occasions. I probably actually yeah. not even said it. I probably just punched yeah, you. Yeah, you might have. I, I mean, the first time we ever sparred, I did break your nose. Oh, yeah. It was standing and then laughed at you. And then laughed at you. Because your eyes ring. were rolling really Randy funny. Randy the ring. I blood all over your mask. Yeah, because you used to wear white shirts, and you don't do that. It's now bad it, luck. But you know what? It was a learning experience. Yes, it was. Um, and you were able to hand that off to another guy recently. <laughs> so you know what? We, we hand it down. But you know, there, there's reasons why I was the way I was. And there's, 
absolute reasons why I've had difficulties over the last 20 years creating a successful business because being old school, one thing about when you when you embrace the, the idea of old school, you start to entitle yourself to be different and people that don't have the ability to be old school, you start to look down on them and then you start to put yourself in a position where you're being arrogant and you're being an elitist and then you're putting yourself in a position well, that's where a profound gonna, statement. you're going to fail. I think what I was saying that I would miss and not to get onto a more general like national debate but like the pussification of america right like you there is something to be said for hardening yourself okay. psychologically in your body but what you just said that resonates is it has to be done with the recipient in mind in terms of how they're going to receive the teachings it's all got to be context yeah. Yeah. so for me i agree with you the pussification of america is a problem it's a huge problem i don't think it's any different i think it's always been a problem it's a different kind of problem now. The pussification is in a different process. But I, I, I think that the hard men have always been few. I don't think we've really – I don't think we ever had a time where we had a, a, a group of warriors. And you also have to remember for us, we grew up in the Cold War. We always had a great enemy. The only enemy we have right now is ourselves and our politics and our bullshit. So we literally are tearing ourselves apart because we have no big boogeyman to unite around. You forget about left and right when you think the Russians may nuke you. Right. Like North Korea, maybe, but no, we all realized he's fucking poor and he's fat. And now <laughs> Trump's making fun of him. And like, you know, it's a, it's a joke. It's not a real threat. Right. Like how the fuck is this guy all the way around the world going to hit us with a bomb? Fuck him. He doesn't have the infrastructure to do it. But, he can't even feed his own people. But there is tangible differences between the stock of men to our grandparents' generation and what I see in, in our son's generation. Yeah, but at the same time, what's the number one fitness trend of our time? True. is CrossFit, True. which is the most ridiculous, brutal routine you right. can do. Right. What's the number one practiced grappling art in the world? People think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but that's only America. Judo is the number one worldwide. It's basically the art of picking someone up six feet in the air and slamming them on their head. Yep. Then you have Kyokushin Karate. It's the largest single-style karate organization in the world. So the hardest aspects of martial arts. MMA is not easy. Right. And these are the things that the best are no, rallying to. So there is still a, a, a toughness in our core. And most of the battling that we have is you have one side that is trying to get to that core and the other side saying it's obsolete. But the ones that are saying are obsolete are not, are small, uh -huh. but they just are very outspoken. Yeah. Like, how do you know somebody is that? It's because they told you 50 fucking times right. in the last 10 minutes. Right. Like, they can't shut up about it. So there's a quiet group of people. Why is loneliness... The silent majority. But did you... I mean, they're saying there's a loneliness problem in America. Loneliness problem. I don't know what that fucking means. Well, basically, because less Americans are connecting with the social megaphone that you literally are, you feel alone in a crowded room because of not everyone's agreeing with the sound that's constantly being hit by them. So the conversation that's being had is not resonating with the majority of people in the room. So you have a problem where a lot of people are hearing all the noise, but they're not agreeing with it, so they feel alone. Gotcha. But the funny part about it is there's only one person speaking. The rest of the room's all like-minded. Yep. So that's why, again, instead of being an elitist and saying, fuck you, do what I tell you, I have to understand that there's a burden that people carry that I've got to respect and I've got to help them put the burden down before they're going to be able to learn. Respectfully, that's an evolved um, philosophy of yours. Yo, I, look, the last two years of my life went through a lot of shit, um, 
came to realize a lot of things. And yeah, I am at a completely different point today than I was at. Well, I think fatherhood has a lot. Like, it, fatherhood changed me drastically. Marriage. Yeah. Marriage changed me. Divorce. Yeah, Father. divorce. <laughs> that. You know, my parents getting divorced had an impact on my life, whatever. But uh, also, you weren't around when I left. I mean, I quit. A year and a half ago, I quit. I was done. I was out. I didn't want to do this anymore. This? Dude, I called up. Ask any person that I'm close to at that time. I literally went to lunch with every single person I'm close to, which was like three fucking people. But I went down. I sat down with everybody. I said, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I did not know that. And they were like, you're kidding me. I was like, I'm done. You- Carl Carl just lost in L.A., tore his bicep in half. In glory? In glory. He's looking at nine months of rehab, can't fight. He's fucking miserable. I'm not happy. I don't. I don't. Sorry, guys. I didn't like any of my students at the time. I literally didn't like my student base. I was this like, was Killer B? Up, up right here. Or this right location? Right here. Sitting here, this gym. I'm sitting here, and I'm going, I don't want to do this anymore. And Carl was like, maybe I'll do it. Because he's like, I got to figure out how to make money. And then Carl started teaching, and he was like, you know what? I'd rather fight. I don't really want to do this. And I was like, well, I don't know what we're going to do then. So I went from teaching like 20 hours a week down to three. And then I couldn't give – for. I, w- I was done. I was out. I'm trying to figure out how to get out. I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it. But Carl's still there. And Carl still has opportunity. And then Carl comes back and he's like, I need you. And I'm like, all right. And then we start doing work. And then all of a sudden around us, this new group is starting to come in. And it's different. And I'm not understanding why. But then like six months later, I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like knee deep in this again. What happened? I was out. Yeah. Why am I back in? And then I'm like, wait a minute. It's because I'm not invested the way I was and I'm, it, it was just different. And then I literally just sat down with myself and I said, look, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do it on my own terms and I've got to do it with the mindset that I've got and I've, gotta, I've just got to, I just got to do this different. And it just got deep and I started thinking about it and I really started thinking about all the weird things, you know, like I've had stuff, I've lost stuff, uh, you know, the ups and downs and I just kind of looked at them all and I pinpointed some things I had issues with that I was doing and then I figured out why I was doing them and I let go a lot of demons and then the best thing I mean I say this constantly I just stopped giving a fuck I really do not give a fuck in the best way possible like I don't give a fuck about the bullshit yeah oh killer B sucks okay whatever Brian sucks fine his gym sucks I don't care your fighters suck fine we're <laughs> just talking whatever you know what I have to do I have to go home yeah. I have to tell my wife, like, I have to justify my expenditure of time. Yeah. You know, my wife is like, did you, what, you know, how, how, how are you paying the bills? How are you putting food on the table? Are you giving away time to stupid people to defend dumb shit when you could be home with your son? Well, it's like, growth. All this it's stuff. maturity. The, the older you get, the, the smaller the things that really matter become. Yes. It, you know, it's your family. It's your health, you know, and... Yo, man, like, I, 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 I don't know much more, really, and I'll be on that. You had, you had a family and kids the entire time I've known you, and I always gave you shit about how it would get in the way because I didn't know. Yeah. My wife and I, like I had my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, I have a girlfriend who lives with me. Like, I see her all the time. What's the big deal? I'm coming home late. Why yeah. can't you come home late? Oh, I got to put my kid to bed. My kid's got school. Fuck you. You got shit to do. But that was also a lot of the friction we had, too, was because there were things that you wanted to do. And my attitude, it still is. This hard line has never changed. If you choose to fight, it's a different path than training. Okay. Every single person in the world should have the opportunity to train. 
but only those that are willing to walk the path should fight. And the reason for that is because if you're not fully committed to that path and willing to make the sacrifices that are demanded by the sport, you will fuck yourself up. And those people you're telling me you have to go and take care of, I'm like, okay, fine. You can go and take care of them tonight, but the work you're not putting in may put you in a position that if you do fight, you may never be able to take care of them again. Right. So if you want to be responsible, you're going to take a short-term hit to do the work you have to do to create the result that you're looking to get in a way that doesn't take away the rest of your years to be effective well, with your ironically, family. Well, ironically, another sage statement used to say is everyone's fighting something, right? Yeah. So when I came to you, I wanted to fight. I, I was angry. I had issues that instead of hunkering down and dealing with, I was like, fuck it. I have an outlet. You know, I found an outlet. I'm an athlete. I'm going to go and deal with this in a non-productive way. In that, what I needed to deal with, the fight I really was having, wasn't in a cage or a ring. Yeah. It was on my home front. And you thought winning yes. would change it. Right. And my problem was in my house. It wasn't in the cage. Winning would never solve any of it. Winning actually would have made it worse. Probably. Because you would have expected... distracted me from the real work I needed to do. Well, also, if you won, you would have expected change. And when it didn't happen, you would have been more resentful of the people you had. And I couldn't... And honestly, I couldn't figure out... I don't know if it was possible, honestly. I couldn't figure out how to communicate that to you. Did you were you aware of it? I'll be honest. I don't think either one of I wasn't aware of it. No, that... I wasn't aware of what I was I've been saying for... The difference now is then then I always understood the look, fighting's not going to solve everything for you. Right. Now the problem I run into with other people, and it's a constant issue that I have now, is because from that point to now, the development of media that people yeah. can create, now my problem is do you want to be a fighter? Do you want to be famous? Or do you think you're magically going to fix your personal issues? So I have like this three thing. It's like, do you really want to be a fighter? Or do you just want to be famous? If you want to be famous, go do dumb shit on Instagram. If you want to, if you're trying to fight to solve personal problems, I'm sorry, but you got to solve your problems before you fight because fighting really demands the best of you. It's not going to put you in the best position. It's going to demand that you are already in your best position. So it's like money. It's profound. Money doesn't expose you. Money, I'm sorry, money doesn't change you. Fighting doesn't change you. It just exposes you. Right. It exposes who you really are. It's the truth. Because fighting is the most naked fucking thing you're ever going to be. You, you, you cannot lie in a cage, my man. <laughs> you cannot lie in a ring. Yo, I, when I fought my last fight, I mean, the most liberating thing for me in the world was to literally strip down to my fucking fight shorts, my fat, sloppy, 40-year-old ass go out to fight this fucking 20-something-year-old dude who had 19 fights in 12 months, went out there... And this dude went to work, didn't put me down, couldn't no. finish me, but it was like the fire I needed to just be okay with it, to say I can, I'm done. And it was like the process of my maturity was actually dealing with the people around me at that time, seeing who could understand the journey I was on, the people that were respectful of the work I did, and then for me to bury the fight career so I could fully invest myself in being a coach without the dream of, well, I can still do this. I really needed to know that I can't do process. it anymore. Dude, that's a, that's a hard process. I that's cried. a struggle for me, man. I, I cried the entire day at that fight. I, I literally sat it. in my hotel room by myself and cried. There's it, very little support, not to sound cheesy about it but like there's no one really talks about when it when it's time how do you transition away from it you know because it's it's not easy no like you feel like you're you fail like you have all these horrible feelings inside but it's just it's life it's life and you just gotta reckon you get old man yeah yeah 
you can't you can't do it the same way forever so to that point what you know my journey in during our separation i went out and i was convinced you know i just i needed that win i needed the fights that's all i cared about i ended up at another gym for a short period of time and they put something together for me i was in fight camp ready for uh, an april 3rd fight i'll never forget and four weeks out my coach came to me and he goes you have a problem and i'm like well i have a lot <laughs> and he goes he goes i forgot you have to, at 40 you have to have pro meds yeah and he's like, so, you know, I've got plates in my neck now. Probably something to do with one of your axe kicks. Or whatever. <laughs> but, like, he's like, you're going to have to go through this battery of tests, bro. At this point with your kids and all this stuff, is this what you want to do with your time and your money? And I'm like, you know, and I went home. And at that point, I was still married, I think. I don't remember. Yeah, I was still married. And my kids were like, why are you doing this, daddy? And that was it. That was it. That's why, like, I was like, I'm not anymore. You know, like. Now I found out you were divorced or. You ran into my ex-wife. I ran into your ex and I said to her, I said, say hi to Randy for me. And the horrified look on her face, I said, I don't think they're together anymore. <laughs> That's, dude, she reiterated that story in the exact same words. She's like, did you not tell Brian that we're divorced? And I was like, I, you know, no, I hadn't had a chance to. It was at iPlay, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I looked at my son and I said, Awkward. I was like, yeah, that was kind of weird. He's like, why, Daddy? I was like, I don't think she's with Randy anymore. And yeah. he's like, who's Randy? I'm like, yeah, you'll meet him one day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. But isn't it crazy how, like, not to sound overly cosmic, but, like, things, life has a flow to it. You can fight the, You can fight it and struggle against the current, or you can find a way to flow with it, and you end up where you need to be. And I'm right where I need to be in my life right now. And it's not lost on me that here I am back with you, training again, that, like, I just had to take a journey to get here, you know? Yeah, that, that and, and uh, the humility aspect. It's huge. You know, I had somebody the other day, we were talking, and he said, you know the only reason that I do business with you? I said, why? He goes, because you're like, you actually admit your, you speak about your vulnerabilities all the time. And I, and I was like, I'm, I was lost a bit and he's like no he's like you tell me the things you did wrong in life most people hide that shit he's like you talk about it and a lot of it's because i'm really at this place where if i'm happy with where i'm at there's really nothing bad in my past because it was all the foundation that got me here it's all the building blocks it's like of course there are things we wish went differently but if i'm okay with where i'm at i'm okay with where i'm at so i'm good it's being authentic it's just, right it's like being the real the, you have to just be you have to be real, who you right? are you got to be, be real who you yeah. are you just got to you know yeah. we're imperfect creatures to try to hide it is disingenuous and and it's not going to lead to growth you got to own all the warts and all the fractures and all of who you are and that's my biggest criticism of the a lot of the other people in the industry that i deal with the ones that turn me off the most are the guys that can never be wrong. I'm like, go fuck yourself. But I feel like those scumbags try to capitalize on people's weaknesses. Yes. And that's fucked up. That, that is hurtful to people. It's funny that you're saying this because I had a conversation yesterday and someone said to me, well, how come that guy who's like fronting so hard but is really so weak, why don't his people leave? Well, because he preyed upon weak people who are now afraid to leave him because admitting that he's weak just compounds their personal weakness. Yes. So it creates this cult of dependency yes. where they're like we know your secret but we don't want anyone else to know it because it's a reflection of the choices we made and we don't like the choices we're making already so we need to force this into a good choice to save face and everyone stays it's this, fixed and, and it's no this one grows circular no one evolves, big yeah. fucking circle jerk of nonsense nobody gets better they spend a lot of time doing a bunch of bullshit that gets nobody anything worth having and it's 
pointless. Yeah. I would rather I would rather fuck it all up than go through that. Yeah. Like I would rather fuck it all up and lose it all than be stuck in that. And I think that's why I wanted to walk away because I feel like I kind of – not that I was in that, but I felt like I got in this circle where I'm looking at everyone around me going – I don't want to be any of these instructors that I'm around. I don't want anything they have. I don't want any. I don't want their life. I don't want what they have, how they are. I don't want their students. I don't want any of it. And I was like, I was like disgusted by it. Yeah. But then when I stopped judging them and not even caring anymore, and I just worried about my own shit, that's what gave me the room to come back, and that's what gives me the room to do what I do. And I get to define my own success. I have. The ability to give without expectation. I have the ability to just be humble and still have audacity. I mean, a lot of people don't like me because I say these things because <laughs> I'm pointing out. Because I mean, I'm challenging them and how they do their shit. Yeah. I'm like, your cult of personality is nothing that I want. Yeah. I'm, I don't want people to sit here and tell me good things. Like, I don't need it. I'm good. I don't need you to tell me I'm good. I need you to be good because of it, and that's enough for me. I'm good. Yeah. Like, I'm cool. That's the evolved point. Like, I don't need anyone to pat me on the back and say thank you. I don't mind it. Right, right. But right. I don't need it. Right. It's not a need. I just need the results. Right. But it, like, and then... It's just weird, man. It's that duality because at the same time, I mean, I'm sitting here. I got a book right here that I fucking write about the demons every day. Trust me. It's a really hard process to stay in this mindset because it's really fucking easy to go to the negative patterns. It's really fucking easy to assume that there's really bad things out there all the fucking time and to focus on that instead of being trusting. Yeah. But you get back what you put out. Yeah. And even in the, you know, I've been back for a few months now. Like it's the energy around this gym, this dojo is, uh, it's one of there's you can just feel the growth you can feel the possibilities you know amongst the student base here everyone's you know in it for the right reasons working for the journey not for the final destination if and, you will you know and like it, and it's really clear when someone's not yeah like it's really fucking well, we used to beat them out <laughs> kind of still do yeah. i mean but we do but it's different than in terms of I mean, I don't throw them in the ring and beat them up until they don't come back. That really only happens when someone talks mad shit. The only person that really we put the screws to like that would be if somebody's talking shit. That we used to get that a lot more. I remember in Asbury that happened Yeah, a that happened times. a lot. Yeah. We don't, honestly, I think we've evolved to a point now where, I th- I mean, Carl's such a big dog. Beast, yeah. Like, I think he really tempers that. He's the self-police. Of the gym. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, when people used to come to Asbury and you see this, like, older white dude, like, no one gave a fuck. Like, no one respected. People still to this day, like, they ask me, like, did you ever fight? I don't care. It, that doesn't bother me. Like, I get it. But they're like, did you ever fight? I'm like, yes, I did. Like, that's why. You ask me why I spar. I spar every once in a while just to remind people that I can do it. <laughs> but you don't do, like, there's nothing to prove to yourself. No, you I just remind them. You know who you are. I know who I am, and every once in a while, I just got to remind these guys. You have to once in a while tell people, oh, by the way, do you know who I am? <laughs> no, you know what it is? I'm being yes, facetious. I, but you, you know why I, I started sparring again? Because they weren't understanding what I was asking them to do. They weren't trusting the drills, so I had to do it, and I had to make it work. And they're like, oh, that's why you cut this way. That's why you throw this after this. And I was like, because it works. Yeah. It's my way. So I'm going to show you how I do what I do. And then I hope you do it next. And that really, before, 
I used to come in and we used to spar and I was one of the guys and we used to all spar and we all used to take notes on how we're going to get each other back next time and you had the black book and you just wanted to fucking get yours. Where now I come out when I would, I mean, I one dude, I kicked him in the head. I wasn't even trying. I fucking blast him in the head. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. It was one of those ones. It was halfway there and I said, oh shit. It's too late. You're past the point of no return. The hip's over. The shit's coming. (laughs) This is just going to fucking suck. It was like, boom. And I'm like, shit. But then we walked away. We come back and it was like, okay, I get why you do that. It wasn't like, hey, can we go again? Because I got to get mine. It was like, oh, I get why you do that. And I was like, holy shit. Like we're doing it a way that they're actually practically analyzing what they're doing and there's no animosity. Yeah. And the questions I get always blow my mind you know i get the you know i'm struggling with this that and the other thing and i find it's bothering me in sparring too like holy shit like i think we're just doing things right now in a way that kind of makes you question everything more openly yeah i don't see i don't see the element of of this ego here either though there used to back in the day you'd get a couple instances where people come in trying to prove something thinking they were hard thinking they were tough and like they would learn yeah you know? but i don't see that anymore i don't see that here no you know, i don't see it around as much as i used to there's a growing respect for you know what actually is entailed in this process i think the phony tough nowhere to go right and it's not here right yeah there really is no i mean if you follow my instagram feed i also I'm very clear about the philosophy in which we are, and I think if you're following us, and you have a, you have a, a, a deeper reasoning for getting involved, I speak to that. This isn't, this isn't like, hey, come be part. I'm not the giving you access to the cool kids table that you weren't allowed to before, you know, or perpetuating that. So like, if you were at the cool kids table and you don't have one anymore. Because a lot of instructors, they have that inner circle of, like, the bromances that yeah. they're all their buddies and they all drink together and yeah. they fuck every chick in the gym and they go to the fights en masse and they all wear the same fucking t-shirt and they all, like, you know, yeah. act all tough but they don't do shit. Like, you know, yeah. I, I that's where this culture drives I me no nuts. Time for that shit. I have no time for it. And it's why, if you look at also the majority, the bulk of class now, the, the staple students are us. Yeah, they're all forty-something-year-old people that are not here to fuck around. They're here to get their shit straight. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. this is the grounding point. Yeah, this is that place you come and you can turn the phone off and no one's going to bother you and you can do the work and and the young guns that you do have come through seem to be cut from the proper cloth. They're 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 not they're humble. They're here to do the work. Yeah, like I really don't see the egos that I used to see. And one of the values of being around for twenty years is that there's enough history. I mean, old man Mike, I mean, he's going to be 60 years old really? if he's not 60 already. But nobody fucks with him because 20 years ago, he was the biggest warhammer I had. He's a killer. And he still would kill you yeah. and you don't realize it, but people have respect for the history because we have that history now. Yeah. And we're not living off that history. We're not relying. Like, we're not sitting here telling war stories. Right. We're just saying, hey, hey, we've been here a long setting time. setting an example. These guys were here before you. He's 60. He's throwing more kicks per round than you are, you 18-year-old. Shut the fuck up, and one day you can have that longevity too. Right. Like, so it's different, and that's what's nice about having time in is having all the different levels, and everyone's kind of exposed to that. And even having tools like this to be able to sit down. I mean, I sat down with Jay, and we talked about our career. I mean, Jay and I really made amends about a lot of issues that we had with our career by just sitting down on the mic and fucking talking. Yeah. 
That's a good thing. You know, that's what I like about this is that we get to explore. Because, I mean, we see each other an hour or two a week if we're lucky. Yeah. And it's you're running in to train, you're running out to go be a human being. <laughs> like, we really don't have the collection points to sit around and, and, and have yeah. a chat about why we do what we do. Yeah. And that's why I think this has been such a great thing. And then other guys in the gym are listening to this, and then they have their questions and discussions that we've been having, and appreciation for the process, and recognizing the different impacts it's had. is That's been the joy of this for me. I've How long really, have you been doing it? This is episode 23. So it's been a couple months. Do you do it on a consistent time, like one a week? Whenever somebody's available. I try and do at least one a week. This week, I this is my third it's this week. It's been a week. busy week, yeah, yeah. You know, but I'm going away next week, too, because going to UFC 224. Carl. Got to throw that one out there. Carl's got Carl's the victory ready. coming, yeah. Yeah. So Carl right now is – I asked him last night. I said, so compared to where you were last flight to this flight, how do you feel? His answer was real simple. I feel more violent this time. I said, okay. The other day, yeah, you I'll see it in you. his eyes. He was pacing by the bags the other day. I'm like, that's a man on a mission. Carl is very stressful for me because he doesn't communicate. So I've kind of had to, I kind of have to feel that out where yeah. a lot of other guys would just be like, hey, I'm freaking out or I feel great. Carl just kind of goes about his business and I have to kind of figure that one yeah. out on my own. But the easy part with him is he's one of the hardest workers one of the most self-motivated and uh, just his transformation is remarkable unbelievable his story is, is amazing I tell I was saying this I don't, I don't know if I did this yeah I did with Shane we were talking about this you would appreciate this though uh, I didn't like him Carl I hope he didn't come back when he first started with us in Asbury he came for a little bit I was like I hope this is a one month deal I don't like this kid. He's got a bad attitude. He's trying. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's trying to prove too much. He's lazy as fuck. He quits early. You know, he would he would start a few seconds late and a few seconds early on a round. Yeah. And then when he would go with people better than him that he couldn't bully, they would hit him once good. He'd come up with an excuse to like take the round off. Weird shit. Yeah. And then we had our come to Jesus moment where after a fight I just locked him in the room and I wouldn't let him leave until I broke him. And then it was like, do you really want to do this or not? And we just had that experience. And we were both better. But here's the fucking thing that I learned from that, and I didn't learn that until now. Literally within the last six months, the realization of the importance of my relationship with Carl. Fuck UFC. Fuck where he will ever go. Fuck the fact that he's going to be the future middleweight champ of the UFC. Here's what I learned as a human. I was wrong to not want him to come back. I was too quick to judge, which could have put me in a position where I don't have that relationship today, which is one of the most valuable. It's not financially valuable. He's one of the most valuable human beings in my life. Carl and I have shed blood and shared mat space and traveled and grown. He's been there for my family. I've been there, hopefully, in his mind for his family. You know, I was there when he got divorced. You know, I'm there when he has struggle with his kids. He's there when I'm feuding with certain people in my family oh, yeah. that I tend to struggle with. I mean, Carl's the first one to say, you need me to help that? You know? Yeah. And I would have lost that individual if I just 
kept the narrow judgmental mentality and that's where that old school new school bullshit has to go for me yeah where it's like i have to deal with people as human beings and i have to let go of the fucking inbred like hammered into my brain yeah. process i'm supposed to operate on because some fucking person told me once yeah i have to be who i am and i have to address people as who they are and i have to give them a chance to sink or swim and that's it and i have to do the sink or swim within context of them and their abilities and what they're looking for not me and only what i want the way i want it when i want it how i want it which is what happens in a lot of this shit it's yeah. crazy that yeah. was that was a lesson for me man and it's not black or white. Some people are like, oh, because he was... No, it's not black or white. Never has been. It's just a human being thing. Yeah. It was like this fucking street tough kid came in, and I was like, your street tough shit's a bunch of crap. Yeah. Like, can you do this or not? I don't give a fuck how many people you knocked out in fucking high school. Like, are you a fighter or not a fighter? If you're a fighter, you don't quit. Yeah. If you're not a fighter, you just fucking pose like one and talk yeah. about how big your knuckle is and how tough you are, but you don't ever really do anything. He does have some... I mean, he... To this day, he's hit me harder than any human being has ever hit me. Like he's he, hit me harder than any human being has yeah. ever hit me. Like he, he I fought fucking raw. heavyweight. Yeah. And when I was training for my, my last fight, the reason I never wanted to fight again was because I, I never wanted to spar with him like that yeah. ever again. It's, it's horrible. And that was before he was where he is now, for me at least. Yeah, he's hit me with a couple shots in training. I mean, he broke one of my ribs for his last fight. Fucking cracked one of my ribs doing a fucking tight waist on me. I was showing him a move. And instead of being tight waist, it was a little high. And his... he. He exploded with his hips and squeezed so hard when my ribs popped. Oof. Like, I literally, I was like, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> like, he grabbed me and I'm like, stop, stop, stop. Ah! He was like, what's wrong? I was like, I think you just fucking, I th I'm like, not only do I think you broke my my ribs, I you may have punctured an organ. I was like, this is really, really bad. And then I was holding pads for him and he hit me. I forget what the fuck he hit me with one day. I thought he broke my arm on a, on a tie pad. Then he hit me with a body shot. He missed the fucking pad, and I <laughs> thought he put his hand through me. I mean, it was just uh, like... He's a beast. Fucking pure misery. He's a beast. And and it's funny. He's evolved. When he was in high school, he was involved in really bad things, did things for bad people, whatever. He was a very violent youth. The beauty of MMA for him is that it gave him a place where he could focus all that yeah. and create something out of it. So he's an extremely violent human being when he fights, but he's evolved past the violence as a human, and that's just his job. Yeah. But his day-to-day, -day, he doesn't have that anymore. He could if he needs to. He's got the ability to, to flip that switch, but that switch was always on. Where right. now he has the ability to step back. Where before... Like now, after a fight, he says the hardest part right now is going into a fight. And after a fight, it's all the idiots he, that he barely knows that are trying to take credit for the relationship and want to know how their boy is. And he's yeah. like, you know, he doesn't get angry about it. He just turns the phone off and holds up. Like right now, he just stays at home in his room yeah. for like two weeks. Yeah. Doesn't talk to anybody. Barely talks to me. <laughs> you know? Well, that's why he's going to be a champion. Yeah, he has the ability to focus like that. Yeah. And he has a lot of shit that he's working out personally through his sport and it's great and when he finally gets past all that shit he's gonna be on a whole nother level too that's the beauty of all this I was gonna that's say that brings it full circle actually cause there's a grounding element in self discovery to this process in this sport in particular in the martial arts that I think everyone would benefit from not everybody yes. could endure not everybody could uh, not everyone's gonna be a fighter like we said but the knowledge about yourself and about yep. life you gain from it, I don't think you get it anywhere else. And I say that having played, to your point, team sports and other individual sports, but there's just nothing else like this. It's a mirror. Because no other thing... Because you don't fight another human being, you always fight yourself. Right. 
I mean, I, I ask everybody, what's your number one fear in a fight? There's two. It's you don't want to be the highlight reel knockout and you don't want to gas. Right. That's it. Right. Everybody's the same. Right. Nobody has a different one. There's no one that says like, oh, I don't want my jab to not work. It's like, no, I don't want to run out of gas because that just is the worst fucking thing in the world. Right. And I don't want to be a highlight reel knockout. Right. And if you're a striker, you don't want to get wrestle fucked. Right. But it's right. like real simple. Like you just don't want pure misery for 15 minutes. Right. You, you just don't want to be that guy they remember is that. Right. <laughs> and you don't want to feel what it's like to run out of gas. Right. And But it, it, it's just – I think you don't have to fight, but I think – we all, it's funny, uh, it gets repetitive, the conversation for me, because I keep saying the same things at times in other conversations, but I think they're important to be said again. As part humans, but as humans, we are, we are group, we have to be part of something besides ourselves. Like if you lock a human in a room long enough, he goes crazy. If you leave a human alone, it doesn't even have to be a room, leave him in the woods, leave him in, in the lap of luxury. If they're by themselves long enough, they're going to go nuts. So we have to do shit with other people. Now, if you put yourself in a position where you have to do shit with other people, but the, the time of action is truly you alone against someone else in the same exact stitch, and only one of you can get that one thing, that's tough. Yes, it is. There's nothing else in life like that. Football, you have the whole team to blame. Right. You can blame the coach for because your coach is calling the play. Right. Even in a fight, I can yell to Carl, hey, man, this is what I see. But Carl's the one in real time who has to make the decision when to zig, when to zag, when to throw this, when to throw that. He sees it and feels it. I give him extra data to help inform the decision, but the decision's his. Like in the football field, if like I can't replace Carl's left hand if it's not doing what I want it to. Right. And right. I can't take him out in the middle of a fight. Say, hey, Carl, you know what? I'm going to sit you this round and put this guy in. Right. That's no. It's the pure. It's one of the purest forms of human experience when you when you think about it. It's in it's in our DNA. Not and only I'm, is it in our it, it's in our complete structure. It's in our everything. The most effective humans ever are is in deficit, in every way. Did you ever hear about how? To, I mean, why does intermittent fasting work? It's because you deny your body what it needs, so it, it actually figures its shit out better. It, it's, it's how do you, how, like, if you sleep a little bit less and you eat a little bit less, you're actually going to perform better for a particular period of time. And then you need to rest more to recover, and then you have to eat more to recover. But the best performance, you could look this up again. I'm an idiot. Go look on Google. It'll back all this shit up. But when we put ourselves in deficits, that's when we achieve growth. Because our body is designed to handle adversity because that's what evolution has done. We've survived as long as we have because this version of ourself is the most effective version to combat the world and ourselves. I mean, if you look at how the human body is designed, it's meant for warfare. Yeah, we're predators. Our weaknesses are really protected. We don't wear our weaknesses out there. Our weaknesses are covered in bone right. and different things and our way our fists line up. Our knuckles line up the way they do. The reason why you hit with the two knuckles that you hit with is because they line up with your forearm to create maximum amount of damage. You know, we're completely designed for warfare, survival. So I'm not saying we have to go out and fight, but there's a reason why when we but get to our, our most base, yeah. when we get into our base way i mean we which fight. is another way of saying comment about pacification like comfort can kill too like absolutely you, have to, you, you can't you can't be comfortable you can't look no. for comfort i said this to my son the other day i was like you know it, it, you're deceiving yourself if your goal is to be comfortable 
because you will not grow and you will be grossly disappointed at some point. The minute you feel you're done, you're dead. Yeah. You're dead. Look at how many people retire and die because they lost their purpose because their life's work was their purpose. Yeah. But that's, again, that's the shallowness of people. And the beauty of something like this is you can do this forever. You can't fight forever, but right. you can train forever. Right. And if this becomes part of your core value, if you lose other things in life, you could always have this core value to hold on to. So it gives you purpose and meaning and give you the ability to look at things. And it's that insight point. Yeah. That's why if you just live for your job, well, what happens when the market shifts? I mean, I would hate to be a yellow taxi driver right now. What would over? Yeah, I yeah. mean, think about it. All these people were millionaires. Now they have a couple yeah. hundred thousand. It's it's a different world. Technology changes it. So if you're relying on this thing, I mean, think about it. This is this blows my mind, but it's the truth. My son may never drive. My second son probably won't. I'm I, I have about a ninety five percent chance that my 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 son being born in the next three weeks will not drive. Self driving cars yeah. are going to be the thing. Think about that. It's like the Jetsons. My son doesn't know what a black and white TV is. He doesn't know what a fucking rotary phone is. He doesn't know what a well, payphone is. And it's innate. Their ability to work. Yes. Computers and touchscreens. It's like, it's innate to them. And the speed in which it yeah. operates compared to what we grew yeah. up through too. Now we sound like old men. But we are old men, so. But we're not. But I mean, you know, the difference is for me, uh, I look at things now is what I think the difference between my parents and your parents and us is that being old was almost an entitled position where now more people more people that are transitioning into the leadership age are not looking at it as like okay I've survived fuck you you have to listen to me and are more okay when I was your age this is what I wanted so I'm going to try and be that for you. That's more of a mentality I see as prevalent. Where before it was like, well, I've survived this long. Shut the fuck up and do what I right. told you. Right. Where now it's like, okay, you're 18. I understand where you're coming from. Let me communicate differently. We have more time to, yeah. to go deeper on these ideas and to think differently. And I think that's why those of us that are in our 40s right now, we're going to develop a different kid. Yeah. I Good agree. and bad. The the lack of a, the lack of playing outside, the, yeah. the play date lifestyle, the fucking so having weird, to go man. to places to do shit all yeah, the time. Instead of getting on your bike or walking to your boy's house, it's it's bizarre. Yeah, like when your mom has to schedule you to hang out with a friend. Like, yeah. what the fuck is that? Yeah. Like, my son has a friend. Like, literally, his dad texts me like, "You want to get together?" I'm like. When I was <laughs> fucking little, I used to walk to my friend's yeah. house and say, "Yo, you home?" Yeah, <laughs> you know. That, yeah, it's yeah. it's sad actually. Did you see there are certain states it's actually illegal for kids to play outside unsupervised? Shut the fuck up. Yeah. That's actually That's true. That's a terrible statement of our time. Yes. I think the predators have always been there. I think the dysfunction was always there. I just think we see it now. I mean, it, uh, it, all the statistics say we live in a better world. Yeah. Everything's better. We die less. Yeah, we kill each like, other less. Police kill us less. Yeah. People that used to not have jobs have jobs. People that used to not be able to tell you who they are are allowed to tell you who they are, and they have support for it. Like, yeah. everybody can be who the fuck they want to be and do what the fuck they want to do, but because we have cell phones on our fucking phones, yeah. we think all of... We have this, like, absolute... Like, you have a, we have a lot of global statements being made about things which are just small instances. But they get perpetuated through a volume that well, is it's viral. It's yeah. the viral aspect of it. Yeah, unprecedented. I mean, it's a, it's telephone on an international level, you yeah. know? Like, that can and string is fucking social. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, you have one bad cop 
Now everybody thinks all cops are bad. Yeah. You get mass shooters, which are a huge problem. I was talking about this one with a friend. And my opinion on the mass shooting problem that we have is that when everything's okay, the acting out has to become more and more extreme. Because when a community is not self-policing because it's like... So you get a kid who's really mad and he says, I'm mad. Oh, that's okay. You're mad. You're allowed to be mad. He's not telling you he's mad because he wants permission to be fucking mad. He's already mad. Right. He wants you to deal with him. Right. He doesn't want you to say, okay, go sit in the corner and be mad. Right. He wants you to say, why? Why? Exactly. And then solve it. And then when enough people say, it's okay to be mad, keep being mad. Don't worry about it. You yeah. can be the freaky weird kid. We're all right. There's a place for you at the table, too. Well, eventually he goes and gets a gun and he shoots everybody else well, and says, that dude, gets... I just wanted you to fucking listen to me. And then that gets sensationalized and perpetuated like it's like a, like a fucking fad of some kind. It's like, what the fuck is and, wrong with you? And now the next kid who doesn't feel like anyone's listening says, oh, that's how you get attention. Yeah, it's, that's it's what we do. Self-perpetuating. Yeah, it's awful. And, and that's why I... I don't think everything should be okay. I think science actually matters. There's a lot of stuff that science says is actually a dysfunction that we're told now is just normal life. I mean, there are kids that, the one, I, I always go to this and I fucking hate always going to it because people hate me on this, but the transgender one, if you actually do look at the science behind transgender, there's both sides of it. But kids do, there are, a lot of kids are fluid in their gender identity through their teen years. Yeah. And, but the thing is, if you look at the numbers, the ones that get the the support, like if you're a boy that feels like you're a girl, when you get the pressure now, like, oh, now you have to stay there, they end up having higher suicide rates later on because they're confused because everyone's saying it's okay to be that, but they actually want to go back to what they were, so they don't know what they are. Like, There's no support to actually pull science into it. It just becomes this political lecture because both sides want to be right and the individual is lost but there's themes in a lot of what we've been talking about and as i'm listening to you say all that it comes back to what we said earlier about authenticity be who you are be authentic and society should allow you to be it. no but society doesn't because if you are who you are then you're being unique which means you're not able to be controlled which means you're not able to be pushed in the directions that they want because we live in a consumer society where you need the masses to be going in a certain direction so it's predictable of how to sell them what they need give them what they want and create you know wealth for a small amount of people that are paying attention i i hate to be conspiratorial about it but if you but dude it goes back to the beginning of man all there's a small group of men that have always figured out what tools they need to placate the masses so they can be the small group. These are, these are the germs of revolution. It's not, though. I think the revolution is... <laughs> I think actually the revolution... I know, but the revolution is really individual now. I think we really do have the ability to be who we are, to speak about it, to find other people like ourselves in unprecedented ways, good and bad. I mean, part of freedom is you got to accept the shit you disagree with and the shit you agree with, and it is what it is. Right. So it's it's... Well, that's like, why the left and right drives me fucking nuts because we all live is, in the fucking middle. But the trick is, and we is, pretend we're left or right. But as as people gravitate towards what their truth is, if if it's of like mind, the trick is then to not let that group become like this is the way to do yes. it. And let me manufacture it en masse to everyone else who should fit into this form because this is the way to succeed. You're not right or wrong. You just are. Right. right. That's and that's where we get. And lost. as long as you're not sh- disrupting like my well being or my family's well being, go do you. Yeah. That's the only infraction, you know. Like if you're putting me at risk in some way, or my kids, you're then I'll deal with you. Otherwise, I got no problem with you, you know. Yeah. Be you. And 
though the it's funny a lot a lot of that shit comes down to it's always it's funny the doubt and the lack of confidence to be ourselves always goes back to we have these ghosts that live in our brain that we carry around with us where somebody said something once and we don't want to really deal with it so we're constantly judging ourselves by someone and an idea that doesn't exist anymore there's always i never under, and i always contemplate who is the first person like i was having this conversation the other day like i like again sound like an old man i don't ever fucking stand this new look <laughs> where these kids <laughs> wear these t- sweatpants that are tight down to their fucking calves and shit with these like busting white sneakers it just looks weird <laughs> fucking to me. And i was like who is the first person who says this is a cool look and then one by one people copy it i never like where is the the genesis point of some well, that's of this the shit? social megaphone yeah but who's the first who's the first one to say i'm gonna rep this new look and everyone else is gonna do uh, it? we could we could find it i mean it's easy to find i mean it's there 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 is somebody that definitely did it i mean it, coming from retail so kids high-end kids fashion has grown exponentially over the last five years due to famous people putting photos of their kids on so where once before there was a certain like the one percent tax bracket used to outfit their kids soup to nuts and high-end shit and that was it but now everything from low and middle and like upper middle income buy one or two pieces of high-end stuff to emulate the shit they're getting pounded with on social so they may not be outfitting their kid completely in gucci but they're buying something of gucci to rep because of what they identify with so the business has grown so they used to have a small market now it's become this global market and everybody's participating not at the same levels but they have a way bigger talent pool spending money in it so the business has changed and that's what's happened is that social influence is a massive fucking business i mean kim kardashian gets a million dollars a post maybe more jesus christ just to say like hey like so Coca-Cola pays her a million dollars to like just literally take a picture of drinking a Coke on her feed because they understand so many people. Here's internet math. One to three percent of all consumers of content will click on the link and be converted into customers. So if someone has three million, you know, then you break it all down and then you could actually monetize what the social value of a post is. <laughs> because it just works that way. And it's, it's like an infallible system. Like that's just the way it fucking works. I remember a world where there was no Facebook and there yeah. was no Instagram, man. Well, you want to, the biggest problem I have with Facebook is that people act like they're speaking to the world when they're only speaking to their friends. What's their 15 minutes of fame? No, but they think, but they behave as if, so I have a, because of what I do, I have a lot of people that follow me on Facebook. I have like 3,000 fucking friends on Facebook. So I have a little bit more of a diverse group, but then but the average person, you know, has a hundred or more people on there. But the thing is, they're all their friends, and the majority of them are like-minded. So when they make their post like Donald Trump's a dickhead, they're only speaking to people that think Donald Trump's a dickhead. So they're not having an intellectual debate with a diverse group of thoughts. There's not someone in the middle, someone that's for them, someone against them. I'm not taking a side. It's just the the flavor of the conversation right now tends to be going in that way. So it turns into this, the only people that you're exposing yourself to are like-minded they agree with you so you're acting so you're start you fall into that trap of thinking the whole world is you and you're the majority even though it's a minor a, a micro a niche subset. that you're talking yeah. to so you just keep legitimizing shit that you haven't debated honestly right and that's where the problem becomes i mean that's news i mean the there's news, no pushback 
none whatsoever right. ever so they don't even have coping skills so i had this is a parent issue my son had a panic attack power went out we lightning storm power goes out my son has a fucking panic attack and my wife's like it's okay it's okay it's okay and it bothered me he had a he had a panic yeah. attack to the point he threw up yeah. i was like this is really bad and so i'm like how do you deal with a panic attack and the number one thing it said to not do was tell him it's okay yeah because then it becomes not a panic attack that becomes a normal behavior and it becomes his response to things he doesn't like. So what you're supposed to do is challenge it and say, it's okay that you're having it right now, but we need to not have it again. And you have to work on developing the coping skills. And that was the point I was getting at. So instead of putting cry rooms in fucking colleges, (laughs) you have to let them fucking debate and get past the fucking weird response and actually communicate about it until you get to a point where you've coped with it you've dealt with it you've thought it through you've solidified a point you've understood all sides you've made an evolved opinion you're not putting yourself in a place where the only opinion that matters is the one it's my i i i am a self-professed uh you know i lean more right than i lean left but I'm a libertarian. I'm socially liberal. I'm economically conservative. I don't give a fuck who you are and what you want to do. The only thing I, I give a fuck about is I have issues when you say you're open-minded. Like the extreme left is like, we are the liberal party. We're wide open. We believe in you and da-da-da-da-da. But then when you don't believe in what they believe, they exclude you. Like they have a women's march, and if you're a conservative woman, you can't go to the march. Well, right. you're not a women's march. You're a liberal women's march. Right. Like if you're for women, you're for all women. Like, the right and left are so extreme and so non-inclusive. Like, you do have to stand for something, but you can't stand for no dialogue. You have to stand for debate. Conflict leads to growth. Yes. And that's, again, put yourself in a deficit position. Put yourself in a room of people that don't think the way you do. If you can convince them all to think the way you do, you're on to something. If it makes sense enough and you're that good of a communicator, you've got something. But if you're only speaking to like-minded, fuck you, you're not proving any points. You're just slapping each other on the back. Yeah. It's challenge, man. It's always been. It's challenge, it's challenge, it's challenge. you got to challenge yourself. How do you get stronger? You break your fucking muscle down and then you rebuild it. it. How do you get better at fighting? You fucking fight. How do you get better at taking a punch? You take punches. How do your leg... Yo, anybody who's done low kicks knows. So when you start training in 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 an art that has low kicks, in the beginning, every fucking kick hurts. Uh But then you're able to start dishing it back so you don't take as many. And then you're getting technically better. And then you get to this middle stage where your legs are still getting obliterated. But you're technically better and you can hang longer, but you're still getting obliterated. And you get into this place where you're like, I don't know if my legs are ever going to be able to take this. And then you have a workout and you're like, wait a minute, it's not so bad. And then you have another one and it's like, it's not so bad. And then you get to a point where literally you don't get kicked for a couple of years and you can still take that kick and it doesn't bother you. Like my legs are like fucking iron. I don't know why. I could take a low kick from anybody. Because your body's been conditioned for it. You know, I tell my girl, we watch the fights and she's like, how how does that person withstand that damage? It's years of work to condition your body. You've done it. Yeah. A few times before. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so it, it really just comes down to pushing, challenging, and and allowing yourself to go for it. So, all right, guys are starting to roll in. Randy, this was uh, this was good. I appreciate the uh, the time to talk. Man. Yeah, man, we'll have you come back on. We used to do this out of Applebee's. Yeah, back in the day. that is true. That is true. But I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy to be back in the family. Yeah, this is a, a great new chapter. 
Uh, great, great student base. Good to be back with my OG sensei. Ha. One thing we got to do too is we'll have you back on and we'll we'll talk about some practical realities of what's going on today and some of the things that we're looking for. Like I, I've uh, with Keith. Your, your boy Keith from Bulldog, I'm going to bring him on, and I talked to Jason Sargis yesterday. I'm going to bring them on, and we're going to do a roundtable discussion about weight cutting. I'm going to have Maria from Bulldog come on, awesome. too. And then I'm going to get a doctor friend of mine to come on, and we're going to have, like, the four of us are going to talk about the practical realities of weight cutting and what That's it does awesome. to you. And then I want to bring in you and Carl and some of the guys that have been around for a while and talk about kind of the – ups and downs of dealing with training and so we'll have a couple podcasts where it'll be more than just two voices you know talking but we'll we'll have this is good some like directed ideas and answer some real questions some practical shit that uh people can answer i've got brian from sucker punch too brian hamper we had a discussion and my computer fucked up and i lost (laughs) the file i want to kill myself we had an hour and a half practical discussion about how to go from amateur to pro in combat sports and everything it takes and it was like the best That's discussion. Terrible. So I'm like, okay, we have to do that again. And it's gone? Gone, gone. Uh, gone. That sucks. What happened? It only recorded my voice, not his. That sucks. I did it over I did it via remote and I had the wrong I didn't have a good program, so I upgraded. I got a better program. So I can do a call in with him. But yeah, we're gonna do that. So we're gonna do some real focused things. Very Randy, cool. if anybody's injured I know you're not like the biggest guy on social media. Do you have any anything you would care to throw out if like they're going to follow you on instagram or anything or do you just want to stay private no man like what's your what's your social media i usually pay more attention to instagram because i have such a short attention span so so if anyone wanted to friend you on instagram what's what's your handle i want to say it's rj manier i think or is it tyler durden no that's facebook (laughs) now you outed me you just fucking outed me man that one i kept i kept uh, anonymous you didn't have to say what it was you're the one who added yourself you're right what was I watching the other day? Someone did that. Oh, we were watching. Never mind. I don't know. I don't want to own it on the air, but we were fuck it. We were watching Jersey Shore. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and dude, the guy's girlfriend called and he's like, "You're mad at me at what you saw posted?" She's like, "What did I see posted?" <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's RJ. I mean, how do I tell? I don't even know how to work this uh, shit. Your yeah, it's RJ M I N N I E A R. So. Cool. That is it on Instagram. And you can follow me, Brian Wright 732 at BrianWright732.com. BrianWright732 on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Facebook also. You can follow the gym at KillerBCSA.com. Also KillerBCSA on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find all 23 episodes of the Hivecast at thehivecast.com. We're also on Google Play, iTunes. We're on TuneIn. Uh, we're supposed to be on Alexa due to tune in. You should be able to say the Hivecast, but there's some kind of fucking problem that I don't know what it like is. Copyright or something? No, I think there's another guy that's got a podcast. It's it's like Nick something the Hive. Uh, so I think there's like a Hive crossover. We're trying to figure that out. But hopefully soon you could just go on Alexa and say play the Hivecast and we'll pop up. Well, Hivecast.com is pretty easy. Yeah, Hivecast.com is really easy. We also started making Hivecast t-shirts. So help support the show by a t-shirt. Sensei, where do you get those T-shirts? What do you mean, where do I get Where does one get those T-shirts? On thehivecast.com, right there. I was just trying to plug for you. Okay, thank you. Go to thehivecast.com, and you can buy it right through there. So this is Brian Wright with Randy Manier, and uh, this is The Hive, episode 23. We are out. Us. Us.